Let us pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the new mercies of this day, given abundantly out of your steadfast love for us. Your faithfulness is great, and through your word we read and are reminded that you give us all that we need. We thank you for the prophet Habakkuk and for the everlasting message you gave through him. And we ask that you teach and guide us through your holy word today. We ask that you open our hearts and minds to hear your voice this morning and to live out our lives in gratitude to you. Bless this reading of your holy word and send your spirit to speak to us this morning. Amen. We continue in our study of the Minor Prophets this summer, and today we will be hearing from the book of Habakkuk. Um, I don't know how I would feel about being called a Minor Prophet, but they have important things to say to us. We've already heard from several of them through Rob, and today it is my blessing to bring you a message from Habakkuk. Reading from God's Word, Habakkuk 1, 2 through 11, and chapter 3, 17 through 19. How long, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear, or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. And from chapter 3, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord 
is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. going to explore today is not only a prophecy, but a conversation between the prophet Habakkuk and God. Habakkuk gets the first and the last word, but the difference between the two expressions is vastly different. As we navigate through this Old Testament book, I pray that you will open your hearts to learn more about the God we serve and how his word is never for one specific time in history, but for all of history. Not just for the Israelites, but for believers throughout time, including those of us gathered here today. Habakkuk reminds us that our spiritual lives are often a time of struggle, wrestling with God when people, events, Circumstances and situations compel us to cry out. And yet during some of those times, God does not seem to answer. In fact, he seems almost cruelly silent. If we understand the truths of our faith, then we must know that there are times when God leads us through seasons of long-suffering and agony. Certainly Habakkuk the prophet experienced this. We really don't know much about Habakkuk except what he records in his book. He calls himself Habakkuk the prophet twice, which indicates that perhaps he may have trained in the school of prophecy that began during the days of Samuel the prophet. Or perhaps he was a priest involved with temple worship. And we think this because he dedicates his final words of his book to the choir director to be sung and accompanied by instruments. So perhaps this became a worship hymn in the temple. What we do know about Habakkuk is that he lived to see a rebellious Judah return to peace through the reign of a king named Josiah who rid the temple of idols and led the faithful Jews of Judah to a restored relationship with their God. But as often happens in the Old Testament, and if we're honest in our own lives, Josiah's reign did not last. Neither did the restoration of faith. Josiah was replaced by his son who returned to evil and idolatry. We watch as a series of J's, Josiah the good king, and then Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, and Jehoiachin reign over Judah. Only Josiah honored God and led the nation in devotion and faithfulness to God. 
The rest did what was evil in the sight of God. Certainly not the last in this line of kings, but one of the most notorious. The last J is replaced by none other than Nebuchadnezzar, whose deeds are recorded in the book of Daniel. In fact, we believe that the prophecy of Habakkuk points to the reign of Nebuchadnezzar after he conquered Judah. Now, let's dig in. In the opening lines of Habakkuk's book, he cries out to God, How long, Lord? How long will I call for help and thou wilt not hear? I cry out to thee, violence, yet thou dost not save. Habakkuk, having seen the restoration of Judah, is once again in the midst of a spiritual storm that exceeds what he had seen before Josiah's reforms. Everything has regressed. And to be honest, it's probably worse than it was before. Naturally, he is praying fervently, but now he seems to be reaching the end of his rope. It's like God is not even listening or responding to his prayers. We may not know just how long Habakkuk has been praying, but apparently it's been a long time, perhaps even some years. For it seems that Habakkuk's tether to God is about to break. Habakkuk, in his book, is wrestling with God's silence. And I think we, too, sometimes wrestle with a silent God. He's challenging God for answers to the horrors of the sinful life that has returned to Judah under the leadership of kings that abhor God's laws. We see Habakkuk speak of violence, wickedness, iniquity, destruction, strife, contention, the apparent blessings of the wicked, and perverted justice. What about you? Have you ever wrestled with God? Have you ever cried out to Him? Have you ever challenged Him? I look at our world today, and especially at our own nation, and I have to admit, I'm wrestling with God's apparent silence. Where is He? And why is He forcing us to look upon a world apparently gone mad? Why is He forcing us to do this? That's how Habakkuk begins his conversation with God. He's wrestling, he's frustrated, he's angry, he's desperately and utterly confused about God's apparent lack of concern. You know what happens when we ask God questions? He answers. In his own time. And after Habakkuk has prayed for years... God answers him. God says to Habakkuk, Look among the nations. Observe, be astonished. Wonder. Now, I think Habakkuk has pretty well 
establish the fact that he is looking and he is observing. He's quite astonished and he's wondering why in the world God is telling him to do just what he's already been doing. God continues, because I am doing something in your days, you would not believe it if you were told. Aha, now we're getting somewhere. Habakkuk probably thinks that God is about to wipe out the evil kings again and restore Judah. It sounds like a promise of something good. He knew that if he brought it to God's attention, that God would respond and take care of the bad business going on. When God uses words like, be astonished, wonder, surely he means that something really positive is about to happen. A caution. We need to be very careful when we get ahead of God. We need to be cautious when we think that God is going to work things out the way we want him to work them out. Perhaps Habakkuk got a little bit ahead of himself, for in the very next words from God, God stuns Habakkuk. For behold, and this is not good news, I am raising up the Chaldeans, and we'll consider those to be the same as the Babylonians. That fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places that are not theirs. The Chaldeans are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originates with themselves. In other words, they make their own laws. And basically, Habakkuk, they're coming for Judah. They're coming. Be astonished because you're not going to believe what I'm going to tell you. Not quite the answer Habakkuk was seeking, I'm sure. And what about you? What about me? Have we ever prayed over and over about a situation and been frustrated by God's silence? And then by the fact that he doesn't answer the way we want him to, the way we think he should. And that things seem to get a whole lot worse before they get better. Then you know why Habakkuk is wrestling with God. And you also know why it's okay for us to wrestle with God. At the very last part of God's first words to Habakkuk, and you might miss it, so be careful that you don't. God makes a promise to Habakkuk, and he makes it to us. But they, speaking of the Babylonians, will be held guilty. Now that's one heck of a promise. But if I may be just a little bit flippant, we serve one heck of a God. It's important to understand that even though God seems to continue breaking the silence beginning with chapter 2, verse 2, he's adding a coda to it. He tells Habakkuk, record the visions on tablets. This is so this vision will last. Because it's going to be some time before God brings this vision to pass. 
So when God gives us a word, we also need to write it down because it may be some time before the answer truly comes. And God continues that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. Not for right now. It hastens toward the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. For it will certainly come. It will not delay. How hard is it for us to wait when God says the answer is coming, but not yet? That's a doggone hard thing to do. It's like God is dangling the answer right in front of Habakkuk, but won't let him experience. And how frustrating is that? I see four main lessons from about God's silence we can draw from Habakkuk. The first is that in our times of need, and especially prolonged need, we ought to cry out to God. My dear departed husband, sweet man though he was, loved a practice he called scream therapy. Anybody here ever practice that? Thank you, Ben. I, I knew you had. We had discussed that. Um, I, I have a hard time practicing that. But Thurston could go out to the farm, get in his little John boat, paddle around, and scream at the top of his lungs just to let out all the frustrations and anxieties that had built up within him. And usually when he came home, he was a whole lot better man to live with. I never quite took on that characteristic that he had. But we ought to feel comfortable crying out to God, practicing scream therapy. We ought to feel comfortable being honest with him about our questions. When we look around and see our greater world, and even our own personal worlds falling apart. We have a God who will listen to our complaints, to our laments, and to our earnest questions. He will even listen to us scream. We ought to imitate Habakkuk and in a manner of speaking, put God on the spot. Believe me, we serve a God who can take that from us. Deep down, though, I'll suggest that what we may really be revealing in our screams and in our frustrations and in our prayers are two of our human weaknesses. First, our inability to understand that pain and turmoil will be, not may be, not could be, but will be a part of our lives. And the second, our spiritual amnesia, where we forget God's promises and invitations. Promises to heal and restore and invitations to trust Him with all of our hurts, our pain, and our lack of understanding that His ways 
are higher than ours. Randy Alcorn, founder and director of Eternal Perspectives Ministries, writes, Trusting God when we don't hear him ultimately strengthens and purifies us. If our faith is based on a lack of struggle and affliction, an absence of doubt and questions, that's a foundation of sand. Such faith is only one frightening diagnosis or shattering phone call away from collapse. Alcorn continues, token faith will not survive the dark night of the soul. When we think God is silent or absent, God may show us that our faith is false or superficial. Upon its ruin, we can learn to rebuild on God our rock, the only foundation that can bear the weight of our trust. The second thing Habakkuk teaches us is to be prepared for God's answer, whatever it is. If you're like me, the answers don't come quickly or easily, and there is often more than a little bit of a waiting period for those answers to be revealed. At one time in my life, I waited 18 years for an answer. Some of you may have been waiting longer than that. And who of us knows if God will even answer our prayer in our own lifetime? It may be an answer revealed only in eternity. We don't know. And the only conclusion that I can reach that gives me peace is to continue to trust God even when he seems silent. That's not easy for me, and I imagine it's not easy for you as well. But the only other choice I feel I have is to turn my back on God. And I refuse to do that because it only takes a little bit of time for me to remember just how faithful God has been to me through the previous storms of my life. The third thing that Habakkuk teaches us is to stand on our guard post. Imagine, if you will, one of our own soldiers standing high up on the guard post, keeping watch. Habakkuk determines to keep watch to see what God will say to him. What about us? When we feel like God is silent or he's telling us something we don't want to hear, are we prone to give up, to stop praying, to stop reading his word, to stop listening to his still small voice, to stubbornly refuse to stand watch? God speaks to us in many, many ways through his word, his entire word. And other than prayer, those intimate conversations with God, his word is the vehicle through which he speaks to us. And if I'm being completely honest with you as a child of God, I will admit that's the last thing I feel like doing when I think God is not listening. I have failed many times to cling to the promises of his word when I have been confronted with what I consider to be the unthinkable. 
Then I read a book by someone who embraced God's word during such times and received much comfort and strength, even if she continued to struggle. The missionary Elizabeth Elliot helped me as I learned to navigate through one of the storms of my life. Elliot and her husband Jim were missionaries in Ecuador when Jim was murdered by the very people they were trying to reach. Later, Elizabeth would spend two years as a missionary to the same tribe of people who had murdered her husband. Elliot wrote, everything can be seen as a gift, even my widowhood. I began very slowly to recognize after my first husband was killed that it was within the context of widowhood that God wanted me to glorify him. Elizabeth is one of my teachers, one of my spiritual teachers. I don't know about you, but that kind of prompted a wow response from me. But listen to her words again. I began very slowly to recognize. I gave Olivia Secoy a turtle this week. I was her mentor during confirmation, and it was just a joy. And I had a little hint that she might want a turtle. So I found a little turtle figurine and gave it to her. And I wrote her and I said, one of my favorite fables is the story of the tortoise and the hare. Slow and steady wins the race. And that is so true. So when Elizabeth Elliot writes, I began very slowly to recognize. I realize that God is very patient with us because we're slow learners. Let's be honest about it. We don't get it the minute the teacher says it. Sometimes it takes a long time. But thankfully, God works outside of our concepts of time, and sometimes it takes months, even years, to grasp his truths. If we are tethered to his word, however, and embracing it, then he will lead us where he wants us to be. The fourth thing that Habakkuk teaches us is to live by faith, regardless of what life looks around us, looks like around us. It's very easy these days to get overwhelmed by the chaos of life, the chaos of this world. Rob and I have chatted briefly about how pertinent these minor prophets are for us today, which means that God's word is everlasting and applies to all generations. I urge you to have a personal encounter with these prophets. Their words and their experiences are not as far removed from our own times as we may think. I told you in the beginning that Habakkuk, has the first word, and he gets the last word. Now, amazing, isn't it, that God would allow a man to have the first and the last word? From the first words of Habakkuk to the last, however, 
there is a seismic shift in his perspective. He's no longer wrestling with the silent God. He has heard God speak. He has heard God tell him unspeakable things. He knows what's ahead. He knows what he's going to see and how horrible it is going to be. God has not pulled any punches with Habakkuk. But Habakkuk is no longer wrestling with a silent God. He is embracing God. Even as God has promised, he is still going to remain silent for some time. Now remember, God said, I'm going to deal with this evil people, but it's not for right now. It is yet to come. Dead gummit. I want the answer now. I want to see justice now. So did Habakkuk. But Habakkuk lets go of wrestling and instead embraces God, accepting God's plan and providing one of the deepest expressions of faith in the whole Bible, in my mind. This is from chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food. Though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet. Remember that word, yet. Yet, Habakkuk says, even when everything fails around me, I will exalt in the Lord. In the God of my salvation, the Lord God is my strength. And he has made my feet like the feet of a deer. And he makes me to walk on the high places. When everything is falling apart, when the rain is pouring, the lightning flashes and the thunder roars, when hope is lost, when there seems to be little spiritual abundance in your life, when God seems suddenly and stubbornly silent, can you say with Habakkuk, yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Little Willie Myrick understood this. Willie experienced the silence of God for a horrifying three hours of his young life. He was 10 years old. While playing with his chihuahua in the front yard of his Atlanta home, a stranger drove up, lured Willie to his car, covered his mouth, and forced him to get in. The stranger warned Willie to be quiet or something bad would happen. Much like Habakkuk, though, Willie refused to be quiet. Imagine a 10-year-old, Tanner, refusing to be quiet. He started singing a song that he learned in church with his grandmother, for Willie's parents were atheists. 
but Grandma taught Willie. When Willie's life was threatened, his fear and frustration turned to faith. He didn't stay quiet. He started singing repeatedly over and over and over again for three hours a song that he had learned in church. God is my deliverer. Yes, he is. Every praise to our God. God is our deliverer. Yes, he is. Every praise to our God. And the man warned him to shut up. But little Willie just kept going. God is my deliverer. Yes, he is. Every praise to our God. Little Willie was crying out to God, much like Habakkuk. The stranger drove Willie around. We got to worry about this stranger for three hours, continually threatening him. But finally, he grew very tired of Willie. And he grew very irritated at Willie's refusal to stay silent. So he let Willie out, unharmed, but far away from his home. Willie went to a nearby house and contacted his family, and they came and got him. And today, Willie is a grown man. Willie and Habakkuk are cohorts of a sort. They had learned the same lesson. Even when life seems unredeemable, and God either remains silent or tells you to wait, you and I, we can yet exult in the Lord. Thanks be to God.